Hello and welcome to the Hormones in Harmony podcast. I'm your host, Vivian Allred, naturopathic nutritional therapist and hormone enthusiast. If you want to learn how to rebalance your female hormones, regulate your menstrual cycle and reclaim your vitality, then you are in the right place. Each week I will be delving into different conditions such as PCOS, endometriosis, infertility, hypothyroidism, acne and hair loss. Stay tuned for interviews with expert guests, Q&As and solo episodes that are all intended to help you move from hormonal chaos to hormonal harmony. If you'd like to submit a question for me to answer on the podcast, then you can email them to hormonesinharmony at gmail.com. The information shared on this podcast is intended for educational purposes only and is not designed to replace the advice of your health practitioner. That said, let's get into today's episode. Are you struggling with symptoms of a hormonal imbalance? Do you have a diagnosis of PCOS, endometriosis or unexplained infertility and just have no idea where to start? Are you constantly trying to cover your cystic acne with makeup or make your thinning hair appear thicker with different shampoos and hairstyles? Is your period all over the place? Is it really heavy or even completely absent? Do you spend all of your time searching online for answers posting in Facebook groups trying to find the solution to your problems? If you answered yes to any of those questions and you live in the UK, you would be perfect for my six-week online group coaching program. Join me and nine other ladies each week as I teach you the six pillars of hormonal health, including how to regulate your blood sugar and insulin levels, improve gut health, regulate your adrenal and thyroid hormones, and finally get control over your symptoms. Each week you'll have access to live video calls, worksheets and reading material for you to work through at your own pace. You'll get access to an interactive Facebook group where I'll be hosting weekly Q&As. This is your chance to ask me anything. There'll also be the option to upgrade for discounted one-on-one sessions and access to functional lab tests like the Dutch Hormone Panel and the GI Map Stool Test that you've probably heard me talk all about before on these podcast episodes plus recommendations for practitioner grade supplements all with 10% discount. For more information and to get involved, head over to my website vivanaturalhealth.co.uk and select the Hormones in Harmony group coaching program under the one-on-one support menu. I'll also include a link to the webpage in the show notes to this episode. If you have any questions, send me an email or DM on Instagram. You can find me at vivanaturalhealth. I'm so excited to get started with this program and I'll hope that you'll join me. Hello, welcome back to episode number 36 of the Hormones in Harmony podcast. Today we're talking all about fat loss. So weight isn't everything when it comes to health and it doesn't equal health. So losing weight doesn't mean that you're going to be healthy. Gaining weight doesn't mean that you're going to be unhealthy. There could be two people, one of them's really skinny but has a lot of maybe internal fat. So these people are known as toffees, so thin on the outside, fat on the inside. And that is sometimes just as bad for your health, if not worse, than having excess body fat on you that's noticeable and something that we can see with our eye. And it could be that there's someone who's overweight in terms of BMI or in terms of physically they look like they're carrying a bit more weight. And these could be some of the most healthiest people out there. And we're not going to cover BMI at all. I don't think that's actually necessary or relevant or important because that doesn't take into consideration things like your hormonal status, your muscle mass, things like that. So I don't tend to use weight and BMI as an indication of health, but it's okay if we want to lose weight. These days, I feel like we don't want to admit that we want to lose weight because we're maybe shamed into thinking that we should love our body for exactly how it is and we should be blessed to have a body and be in optimal health but for some people health the the weight is impacting the health negatively and it's okay if you want to lose weight for physical reasons so you want to just feel fitter you want to look better that's fine but I think you should maybe look into why you want to lose weight is it for yourself that's absolutely fine but if it's for someone else or you're doing it because you want to please someone else and that's where it can become an issue as well. And I'm all for the body positivity movement and being happy in your skin and representing real women online. But I think some of the accounts are going a little bit too far 
in terms of promoting obesity in some cases and I know that that may be a little bit controversial but I think there comes a point where it's no longer a healthy natural body weight and it is pretty much just obesity and it's not going to be helpful for anyone and if they're confident in that and they love what they're doing then that's fine but they can run run into health issues down the line if they're not already dealing with something now as well so this episode is for those of you who are struggling with weight gain so you just feel like the, the pounds are creeping on every single week or just over the years you've looked back and you've gained 20 pounds and you don't even know what's happened maybe you're struggling to lose weight you're dealing with weight loss resistance so maybe you've just had a child and you're struggling to lose that weight and even in that circumstance we shouldn't feel pressured to have a a miraculous transformation straight away because the celebrities that go through that it's a lot of photoshop and they have full-time personal trainers and chefs working for them and some of them have had surgery so don't be comparing yourself to that but if you've had a child like two years ago five years ago and you're still dealing with weight loss resistance and it could be a sign that something's imbalanced in the body as well and this is also for those people whose weight may be contributing to health issues so we know for example pcos we're told all of the time just lose weight and your symptoms will clear up and if you have pcos you know how hard it can be to actually lose weight so the fact that your doctors even bring this up it's pretty infuriating because they act like it's this amazing idea that they've had and that's all you need to do and everything will be back to normal again but we know that that's not the case it could be that your fat excess body fat is contributing to estrogen dominance because we know that fat tissue is considered an endocrine organ meaning that it can produce hormones particularly estrogen but also inflammatory cytokines and it's not inert so it doesn't just sit there and look unsightly it actually has negative impacts in the body in excess we need some body fat to produce estrogen so that's why when our body fat drops too low that can impact our fertility and our female hormones and other things like appetite signaling but when it gets too too much for our own particular um, body um, height and what we're used to then that's where health issues can come in as well and contribute to long-term metabolic risks and future diseases as well so women naturally carry more body fat than men so again the victoria's secret models and instagram stars that we see looking really slim and slender not everyone's built like that and it's a good thing that we can see more natural bodies online these days and more curvy bodies which is good but we can't hold unrealistic expectations for ourselves, and we can't expect to be shredded and have six-pack abs if we're just not built like that then we need to take that into consideration as well so in this episode i'm going to share with you the 10 steps that you need to take for healthy and sustainable fat loss so we're not just talking about weight here it's different weight is different than fat loss weight we could lose 10 pound in a week and a lot of that could be water weight or inflammation and it's not true representation of what we're losing and i could easily lose probably 20 pounds of weight but some of that may be coming from muscle and that's not ideal so that's what can make weight loss a little bit too stressful on the body and it can mean that it's more likely to come back on because it's not sustainable you're not doing it in a healthy way crash diets aren't the way to go i think that's kind of been drilled into our heads now that yes we can do a juice fast and lose 10 pound in a week but probably a month later it's going to be back on plus more so with this episode we want healthy healthy fat loss so we don't want to be doing anything drastic we want to support our hormones in the process and not do anything too stressful on the body and we also want it to be sustainable so we don't want to end up in the same situation again three months down the line we want to make sure that we lose the body fat we keep it off in an easy way so nothing drastic nothing that's going to mean you have to completely transform your life we want simple achievable steps that we can just incorporate into our lives that's not going to be too hard to do and it'll mean that you don't give up a few weeks into it because it's too overwhelming and too much to do and when you listen to this episode just take it one thing at a time maybe everything's not contributing to your conditions and your situation but just work through one by one and i'll give you some more insight into each step as we go along 
But I personally dealt with both ends of the spectrum in terms of weight, not too extreme on either either sides, but initially in my teen years, I was a little bit podgy. So on the heavier side than normal, and a lot of my weight was in the abdomen, but I was never overweight in terms of scale. But when I went to the gym and started losing weight, that really triggered me to feel really good about myself and got a lot of compliments with that. So that triggered my whole journey with over-exercising, under-eating that's really kicked off my whole hormonal chaos. And if you want to learn more about that, then you can listen to episode one of the Hormones in Harmony podcast. And there's 30 minutes of me talking about my whole entire journey. So please go and listen to that if that's something that you're interested in. And then for those few years, I was quite underweight. I lost about 40 pounds, so about 20 kilograms in total. Bear in mind that I wasn't ever overweight to begin with. And then after dealing with all of my gut issues and my hormonal issues, I could finally gain the weight again because I was very restricted in terms of diet because of my digestive issues and food sensitivities. And then when I started to regain the weight, I was absorbing my food again. So there's a period of time I was eating the best diet in the world, but wasn't fully benefiting from that. So it wasn't until I regained the weight again, then my hormones started to kick back in, my menstrual cycle returned. But then once I reached my healthy weight again, it didn't stop. I just continued gaining weight. And I was like, okay, that's enough now. Like that's enough weight gain. I've, I've reached my target weight to get my period back but then it did start to elevate a little bit too high again nothing drastic but I definitely believe that there was some underlying insulin resistance there because of a long-term restrictive diet and I was quite low carbohydrate obviously the stress and inflammation played into that as well so I did get a little bit heavier than ideal as well and that took a while to slowly come off but I've managed to get to a healthy set point I have some body fat on me and that's perfectly normal for fertile young woman and I think we should all be happy with that as well so that's just a bit about my weight journey and if you're wanting to lose weight I don't recommend weighing yourself again no BMI no weighing I recommend taking pictures and measurements as a way to monitor your fat loss and the scale may not move at all so throw the scale out we don't really care about that and it could be that you're building muscle, losing body fat, but you weigh exactly the same, if not a little bit heavier in some cases. So we can't use that as an um, indication whether we're doing good or bad. Just go with your feelings. Maybe you start to sleep a little bit better. Your menstrual cycle's not as irregular or painful. And these are all amazing signs of progress too. So number one, first step is to address your mindset. I think with anything that we're trying to overcome, any symptom, any condition, we need to start here. And this is often the last, very last thing that's over, um, that's factored in, and it's often overlooked. So if you always tell yourself that you're the fat one, you always struggle with your weight, it's just genetic, it's going to be hard to lose weight, I always relapse and fall off the wagon, quote unquote. But if you're constantly thinking that, that's just what you're going to attract into your life. It's the law of attraction. It's the the way it goes. If you're constantly thinking negative things, if you're constantly telling yourself that you're always running late, you're a clumsy person, you have bad luck, you're just going to attract more of that into your life. So the first thing is switching up your mindset. If you've always had a weight issue, then that can be hard because you've never had a period of time where you've been at a healthy weight. But understand that your body is very resilient and it can it can change if you give it the right circumstances and that's my belief as well so make a decision if you want to lose the weight you're going to tell yourself that like I am someone who's strong I'm fit I'm lean I don't struggle with my weight I'm healthy write down your goals and the reasons why you why you're doing this so again, is it is it for you or are you doing this for someone else? Is it because of your ex-boyfriend? Is it because a bully said something to you at school 20 years ago? That could all still subconsciously be in your mind. Maybe your parents made a slight comment about your weight as you were younger and you've held on to that because they were people who should love and respect and support you. So that could have really hit into the self subconscious mind under the age of seven. That tends to occur. 
write down your goals, your reasons, and keep them visible to you as well. So maybe having a copy on a piece of paper at home, maybe in your bedroom somewhere, make a vision board. I know it sounds very cheesy, but it's very helpful. Put put some pictures on there that inspires you. Come up with some inspirational mantras and maybe keep a note in your phone as well for the times when you're feeling a little bit down, you're feeling discouraged and unmotivated. You can just remind yourself the reasons why you're doing it. So maybe it's to feel healthy again. Maybe it's to be able to live into your older years without health problems. Maybe it's to get pregnant. Maybe you're overweight at the moment and that's inhibiting or impacting your fertility negatively. Maybe you want your PCOS to be a little bit more manageable and reduce some of the androgenic symptoms like acne. So there are tons of different things and it's going to be different for everyone. So do something that's personal to you that means a lot, that's making sure that you're going to stick to that more easily than if you have no idea where you're going. It's like the the quote, if you're on a journey, you need a destination, you need a map, you need to know where you're going, else you'll just end up somewhere that you didn't want to be. So you need to make sure that you have a plan together, get organised and really spend time on this section because it is one of the most important things as well. And if you're constantly thinking of this as a diet, it's restrictive, it's something that you hate, you just want it to be over with, then this is not going to last. You need to think of it as a lifestyle change. Sometimes in the beginning, it does need to be a little bit more restrictive than it does long term. But if you remind yourself of that, and if you're doing some sort of elimination diet or a temporary protocol, then you can just tell yourself maybe in three months we can start to reintroduce some more foods in. It's not going to be like this forever. And if you constantly think of it as a diet, then that's a negative connotation. Think of it as the word die. (laughs) So if we've been taught for a long period of time, diets don't work, diets are bad. So don't think of it as a diet. Think of it as a lifestyle change. And even the most simple things could have the biggest difference. And we want this to be sustainable, remember. So in terms of diet, just to get this out of the way in terms of calories, they do matter. If you're eating too many calories than you're burning, yes, you're going to gain weight because that's just the law and that's how it works. If you're having energy excess than what you're burning, you will gain weight. But calories aren't everything. Hormones actually matter more. These are some of the things that we're going to be talking about as well during this this podcast episode. And there's tons of PTs online and even some doctors who just blame calories as being the only solution to weight loss and the only thing that we need to focus on. And I've actually had to block some of these PTs online because it just drives me insane how they can be so kind of simplistic in the thinking. But how do you explain someone who gains like 50 pounds when they're on steroids for their asthma or their allergies? If it was all about calories, that wouldn't happen. But steroids increase cortisol in the body and that makes you gain more fat and makes you like hold on to your weight a lot more so we can't use that as an as a factor and even the opposite people who are eating thousands and thousands of calories every single day and cannot gain weight that doesn't make sense either if they're the tiniest person if they're 411 and they're tiny they're a female they're not active at all and they're eating 5,000 calories a day. Technically, they should be gaining weight, they should be overweight, but maybe they're not absorbing properly, maybe they have hyperthyroidism. So there's so many things to look into as well. And even with portion control, this is important too. For the nutritionists and dietitians who just say, eat whatever you want in whatever quantity and you'll be fine. That's not exactly true either because some foods are really rich in calories and that doesn't mean to say that they're bad foods, but maybe you're just getting a little bit too much than your body needs. So nut butters, animal fats, ghee, butter, coconut yogurts, they're all rich in healthy fats and they're good foods, healthy for our hormones, but they can be easily overeaten. So if you've ever looked at how how um, the size of a tablespoon of nut butter, like the recommended serving size, it's pretty tiny. I don't know about you, but when I get in the nut butter jar, I like have a big scoop of that in there and that's probably like three, four tablespoons full. And that's fine because I'm not struggling with my weight and I'm happy with that. But if I was gaining weight and I was concerned, I'd do a little bit of tracking initially to see if I am overeating. 
it could be that you it's beneficial for you to weigh out your foods and track with something like my fitness pal or chronometer very temporarily so i'm talking maybe one or two days a week or a full week of tracking uh, every couple of months just to see where you're at because it's really hard to tell and with processed packaged foods some of them have calorie labels and they have red lights and green lights that tell you like this is high in calories or sugar but with real healthy foods things like sweet potatoes and fruits and starches they don't really come with ingredients lists or labels so you don't really know sometimes what you're eating and this can go in both ways as well people who are eating a ton of vegetables and salads and lead proteins it feels like they're eating a lot but when we track the calories they're actually eating very little because it's a lot of volume but not a lot of calories. So they may be dealing with symptoms of undereating, whether that's um, hormonal imbalances or acne or anxiety, but they actually feel like they're eating a ton, but they're not getting enough calories in. And it can work the opposite way too. People feel like they're more hungry, but they're eating a lot of fats, particularly fats because they contain the most calories per gram. And it's easier to overeat things like oils because it's less filling in the stomach. And the focus should be on real whole foods. So avoiding processed packaged foods, cooking at home more because when you're in restaurants, you have no control or idea really what's going into your foods. And there are certain nutrients that may be deficient or you may require more of if you're dealing with metabolic issues or weight loss resistance. These are going to be things like chromium, magnesium, alpha lipoic acid, coenzyme Q10, L-carnitine, These are all important for metabolic health and mitochondrial function, which means turning your food into fuel. Plus another one is your omega-3 to omega-6 ratio. I've mentioned this a few times in other podcasts as well, but it's actually quite common. It's a very big factor in inflammation as well. Omega-3s are anti-inflammatory, so they help to reduce inflammation. You're going to find those in things like oily fish, some in plant foods like chia seeds but not the bioavailable type that we need and then omega-6s are found in things like industrial seed oils conventionally raised meat and egg and dairy sorry so sunflower seeds canola oil soybean oil and typically we should have a four to one ratio of omega-6 to omega-3 four to one up to three two one to one that would be ideal but not always possible typically the average american person is getting 20 to 1 so this is a really big driver of inflammation because it's the omega-6 fats that are pro-inflammatory and we do need some inflammation in the body to regulate our immune system and fight infections and heal a wound when it's cut open and repair that that does require some slight inflammation but excess can definitely lead to weight loss resistance and inability to lose weight as well So they would be the main things in terms of diet. Obviously, there's more specifics that we can get into with proteins and carbohydrates and fats, but just start with the basics, get rid of the bad foods, the processed packaged foods, cook more at home, more um, real whole foods like meat, fish, eggs, nuts, seeds, healthy fats, oils, and you should be pretty good with that. And then if you need to track doing that, temporarily then just delete the app because getting too stressed out about that and taking scales to a restaurant to weigh out your food like i have seen people do that's just not sustainable and not healthy step three we want to regulate our blood sugar and insulin levels what happens when we eat is that our blood sugar rises particularly if it's a carbohydrate containing meal our pancreas then detects that blood sugar levels are rising which when it gets to a certain point is quite harmful to the body so your pancreas releases insulin which carries glucose from the bloodstream into the cells where it's used for energy this is totally normal but if it happens multiple times every single day if it happens excessively all the receptors on the cells become damaged so it can no longer accept the glucose from our bloodstream then this can lead to something called insulin resistance and that causes high insulin high blood sugar to be circulating which can have a negative impact on so many things in the body can drive chronic inflammation this is common in pcos a lot of women have insulin resistance with that condition too obviously varying degrees um 
as well. And long term, that leads to type 2 diabetes, metabolic issues. But what happens when blood sugar and insulin are chronically elevated is that we're always in fat storage mode. So we can't actually burn fat if insulin's too high. So insulin resistant is much more than just about carbohydrates. And I have a full blog post on this as well for those who are interested. You can be on a low carb diet and still be insulin resistant because of multiple different factors, nutrient deficiencies and inflammation, poor sleep can drive this too. And you may have been checked for your blood sugar at the doctors and be told that everything's fine. But by now you probably know that that means nothing really. There's completely different reference ranges for glucose and insulin and HbA1c in terms of conventional labs and functional optimal labs because the people who go for blood tests that's how they create the average and I don't know about you but I don't think the people who go for regular blood work are the healthiest of people so I don't want my blood work to be based on an unhealthy population so definitely check your fasting glucose fasting insulin levels and HbA1c and then get them checked over by a functional doctor or a holistic nutritionist who can check the optimal levels as well often though they are actually fine and in good levels and that could throw off people to think that they don't have an issue with the blood sugar levels but it's not until we do further tracking and testing with something like a glucometer at home or they do a neuroglucose tolerance challenge test which is where you drink the sugary solution and then have your blood sugar and insulin test both one and two hours after you've had that that's typically used mainly in pregnancy to check for gestational diabetes but you can do something similar at home using a glucometer this will only track the glucose aspect but it's really insightful and can often show um, real problems with people not clearing their glucose after the meals or their blood sugar is just spiking way too high from even the healthy carbohydrates that they are eating as well but one of the best ways to improve blood glucose and insulin levels is to avoid frequent snacking. Think about it ancestrally. Our ancestors 10,000 years ago wouldn't have access to a 24-hour supermarket, grocery store, fast food drive through We would have had food intermittently. So there would have been plethora of foods and so many things to choose from for a good few hours of the day and then there'd be days when we have no food at all so if we're constantly eating every couple of hours and if you feel like you need to snack constantly then that's a sign that your blood sugar is a little bit erratic and you could have some dysregulation with your blood sugar and insulin levels as well ideally for most people it's best to aim for three square meals a day this works well for most people's schedules and just timings but there's the people who maybe require a little less than that or they may require snacks if they have some adrenal issues maybe they're underweight or they're pregnant so don't take that as a rule intermittent fasting can be helpful for some individuals especially if they're really struggling with weight loss resistance it could be a good way to kind of kickstart that a little bit this does need to be done in certain circumstances quite carefully because for women's bodies particularly with female hormones they are quite sensitive to signs or signals of famine or stress even though it's not kind of life or death stress your body doesn't know the difference in the past famine could have indicated near near death it could have been a, a fatal environment if there's no food present so our female bodies go into that physiological response again because we haven't adapted too much to the modern life and it doesn't know the difference between a real famine and just us intermittent fasting for eight hours a day but i like to stick with for everyone um, again there's differences of different health conditions but for most people 12 hour overnight fast so if you're not already doing that that's a really easy thing to do so finishing your evening meal say 7 p.m at the latest and then not having your breakfast until 7 a.m the next day and that's just a really nice period of time to fast and allow your gut to recover and process the food that's been in there for the whole day. Bring down your glucose and insulin levels for the next day. And when you break that fast in the morning, then you're probably in a better state than if you were snacking and um, eating late into the night when our bodies aren't actually designed to be eating at that time too. For most women, I don't like them to go over 
probably 16 hours or so and not even doing it every week every day so maybe a few days a week you stop eating at 6 p.m and don't start eating again until 10 a.m the next day and that's a nice period of time a few times a week and go off your hunger signals if you're feeling weak and shaky maybe you have a full day of work ahead then maybe not the best time to do that and same with exercise if you're doing a really heavy workout in the morning then you you probably need some food in you too plus your menstrual cycle can determine your hunger cues and it's often best to avoid fasting when you're nearing your period or especially when you're on your period as well because your hormones are a little bit more sensitive and you're more likely to be able to tolerate that in the follicular and ovulation phase but everyone's different if you're really stressed out already then adding in another stressor even though it's a positive one can just be too much and not recommended and there's plenty of other things that you can do as well to improve your fat loss that we'll cover as well step four is to identify potential food sensitivities because if you're constantly eating foods that you're sensitive to that can create stress inflammation and it can cause your body to hold on to water weight as well because in an inflammatory process take cutting your arm for example it's going to swell in the area because that kind of dilutes the immune cells that are there and it draws fluid to the area so the, the inflammation is less but you can imagine that happening on a systemic basis that's why a lot of people can carry a lot of water weight it's because they're quite inflamed and the body's trying to protect it against the damage from some of these inflammatory molecules the big offenders are gluten dairy corn and soy but there could be other things going on you could have sensitivities to pretty much every, anything so eggs and histamines and nightshades would be the other categories to consider next but if you've done all of those things in the past and this would be like a temporary elimination diet so maybe 30 to 60 days there's particular recipe books and websites dedicated to food sensitivity elimination tests like the whole 30 or the autoimmune paleo diet there's some really nice recipes on there all very nutrient dense and it's not forever so it may be pretty restrictive in the start like i mentioned at the beginning and after a while you can determine your own sensitivities and these do change over the over time as well so it's different to an allergy which is a pretty immediate reaction and response to a food for example someone who's sensitive to peanuts they get anaphylactic shock or a re really big rash all over the face after having the food it's different to a sensitivity or intolerance these tend to occur delayed and not as serious and not as noticeable for some people a sensitivity could result in acne breakouts or headaches or they could have fatigue the next day or anxiety two days later so they can be hard to spot there are things like food sensitivity tests that are available but i'm not a fan of them the really good ones can be helpful but they are very expensive they're like three four hundred pounds which just isn't um, a possibility for some people to afford so that's where food sensitivity tests can come in and can be really um, food elimination diet sorry can come in and be really helpful but if you do feel like you're reacting to everything and you're struggling and you've tried all of these other things that i'm going to be mentioning you can do a food sensitivity test and it could come back with something important that really helps you to reduce inflammation and stress within the body but if you feel like you are reacting to a ton of foods once you eliminate them or you do a test and there's a million things come back on the test um, maybe you feel like you can't reintroduce them once you've cut them out then this could be a sign that you have some issues with your gut health and your immune system's on overdrive because it's not normal to be reacting to multiple foods especially healthy foods particularly fruits and vegetables nuts and seeds if you react a ton to them then it could be that you need to further address gut health and don't keep restricting the, the more that you restrict then the harder it is to heal and recover but you need to address the root cause at the same time there's no point eliminating something from your diet and then reintroducing it back into the same environment if your gut's unhealthy if your immune system's a little bit dysfunctional because you're just still going to be reacting so there's no point you need to use that time wisely work on healing your gut and addressing some of these other foundational things as well
step five is to check your hormones so work on hormonal health and there's many different hormones in the body um so we'll just focus on the basic ones for now that are most implicated with weight issues the first common one that i see is imbalances with estrogen and progesterone these two should be in ratio so the first half of your cycle before ovulation it's natural to be estrogen dominant Oestrogen is kind of the fertilizer of the soil, so it helps the grass to grow, it helps to build things up. And then in the second half of the cycle, we should be progesterone, um, progesterone dominant. Progesterone's kind of the lawnmower, so it keeps the grass nice and cut and fresh and it maintains the soil, potentially for implantation or a pregnancy. If not, that's, that's what we bleed as a period what happens if these hormones are out of whack so maybe the second half of the month you're not producing progesterone you're not ovulating so maybe your progesterone levels are, are way too low and that makes you more estrogen dominant for the whole cycle especially if your weight gain is cyclic meaning that at certain times of the month you retain water your weight goes up and down maybe your your breasts grow a cup size prior to your period or your weight's located in your hips, your bum, and your thighs. These are classic signs that your estrogen and progesterone ratio are off and you're likely estrogen dominant. This could mean that your estrogen levels are way too high, or it could mean that you're just not producing enough progesterone, so relatively you're more dominant in estrogen, so there's different types of that as well. And it could be caused by many things like oral contraceptive pill use, even in the past. It could be that you have more body fat because remember, body fat actually produces estrogen. So if you're carrying more weight than optimal, you could be estrogen dominant because of that too. Stress, poor gut health can lead to estrogen recirculation in the body, which we'll touch on later in this podcast episode. And then environmental chemicals, we will discuss that as well. They can lead to estrogen dominance. Some other symptoms that you may have if you feel like this could be an issue for you would be menstrual irregularities whether that's delayed cycles maybe you're not ovulating maybe you have diagnosed infertility heavy painful periods maybe you get the the water retention that i mentioned or breast tenderness these are all potential signs of hormone imbalances with estrogen and progesterone if your thyroid is out of whack so your thyroid produces another hormone called thyroxine and this could lead to weight gain particularly all over so there's no particular areas that you store the weight it tends to be distributed evenly across the whole body it just feels like you're gaining weight all over your thyroid is your master metabolic gland so it helps to improve your metabolic rate and the rate that you burn through calories in your food some causes of poor thyroid issues could be chronic stress. It can shut down the production of thyroid hormone product. It can shut down the production of thyroid hormone and inhibit the conversion of thyroid hormone as well. It could be due to adrenal dysfunction, so chronic stress. Maybe your cortisol is way too high, way too low, and there's never a thyroid issue without an adrenal issue, in my experience. Autoimmune thyroid issues are the leading cause of hypothyroidism. So dysfunctions in your immune system could be contributing to the weight gain as well. And your immune system is located primarily in your gut. Environmental toxicity, nutrient deficiencies and estrogen dominant can lead to thyroid dysfunction as well because all of your hormones are interconnected. And when one of them's out of whack, then that has a knock-on effect on some of the other ones as well. So they tend to go hand in hand. And if you had a thyroid issue or suspect that, some of the symptoms that you may be dealing with are dry skin or dry hair, brain fog, mental sluggishness, constipation, inability to gain muscle, muscle or build muscle. Everything kind of slows down. So fatigue's a really big one, difficulty getting into bed in the morning, all common signs of low thyroid function. High cortisol is another hormone that can lead to weight gain or weight loss resistance. This one would display tending, a, this one would display particularly around your abdomen. So insulin resistance could also lead to this pattern, but high cortisol, they tend to go hand in hand as well, as I mentioned with hormones 
um, they tend to have a knock-on effect on each other. Causes of high cortisol would be chronic, real or perceived stress. So whether you're over-exercising or have a really fast-paced lifestyle, or you just perceive that you're really stressed all, ta- all the time, that can have the same negative impacts on your body as well. Blood sugar dysfunction can lead to high cortisol. So eating too many carbohydrates, not enough protein, eating too frequently and snacking. Food sensitivities, as we mentioned, they can cause stress and inflammation in the body. Gut infections and over-exercising, under-eating can all be stressors. So even if you're working out a ton, but you're still having like the spur tire around your midsection or you feel like you're now gaining weight. This is common in people who are like training for a marathon or really up the exercise schedule. They tend to notice that they're gaining weight and they never had an issue before. If this happens, this is most commonly because of high cortisol. And other symptoms may include teeth grinding or clenching your jaw, feeling wired but tired, dealing with anxiety or mood swings, irritability, difficulty winding down or relaxing, and sugar or salt cravings too. So to track some of these things and see whether these are an issue for you, you can obviously go off symptoms and health history, and you probably have a good idea of maybe what's driving that, but it's important to test and not guess with some of these things and particularly with cortisol it could be that you have low cortisol but I displaying some of those symptoms because you can't really guess with cortisol so I do recommend testing for that one and to test your cortisol and some of your sex hormones the Dutch test would be my go-to because it does both of them something that you do at home this is a private test though so it's not available through your doctors but it's very comprehensive and this is something that I cover with Dr Carrie Jones on a recent podcast episode that I'll link in the show notes as well she explains the Dutch test and what it measures symptoms of high and low estrogen and progesterone and cortisol like I've just been talking about and I also have a guide on my website for some blood tests to request it's actually labeled for those with PCOS but it's pretty general it goes through some of the important things for most women to get tested annually if possible but obviously some doctors aren't open to running some of these things as well so blood testing can check some other things and um, it may not test the hormones in full detail and it's not really accurate for cortisol but some things like your androgen levels or your thyroid that would be the place that you need to get your your um, blood tested and with the thyroid it's not enough to just get a tsh or a t4 these are the two that are commonly tested but the two out of like six hormones that I'd want to see. So the whole list again is on that guide that I mentioned, but just as an overview, it would be TSH, T4, T3, both of them being free T4, free T3, reverse T3, and then your thyroid antibodies, which are TPO and TG, making sure you get all of those tested. You may need to get those done privately because doctors don't tend to do that they tend to wait until the tsh goes really sky high before they do anything about it and miss the common subclinical levels for many years until the thyroid's actually damaged so we don't want that to happen either step six is get enough sleep we as a nation just do not sleep enough and over the years it's just been reducing reducing whilst levels of chronic disease hormonal imbalances, weight weight issues have been on the increase as well. And the issues are that lack of sleep can make you more insulin resistant the next day. So you can imagine this happening a one-off. It may be absolutely fine. You've been out, you've been at a birthday party, you're on holiday. That's fine. Your body will recover. But if this happens for a good week, if it happens for a year, if it happens for a decade, you can imagine the negative impacts that that's going to have on your health. Sleep is commonly overlooked. People are waking up in the morning to go to the gym or staying up late at night to prep the food, but I'd rather them get the sleep in because this is where the healing takes place. Throughout the day, our body isn't healing and repairing. It, it waits until the evening and the night to do that because it's got so many things and processes to do throughout the day. It doesn't have time. And you could be eating the most healthy diet and exercising, and you could still be insulin resistant if you don't sleep well. It could be that you feel like you're sleeping fine 
but there's a difference between passing out with exhaustion and going to sleep naturally, getting into the deep phases of sleep where you restore and you heal and you process your thoughts, you process your food from the day before, clear out your blood sugar, rebuild your hormones and your cells. So if that's not happening, then you're not going to have a healthy body. And our body really likes routine and consistency. It likes to be on a schedule. It likes to know what's coming. So if you're really erratic with your eating patterns, some mornings you skip breakfast and then other days you're eating all day long, your body goes into a bit of a stress mode and can just hold on to weight as more of a protective mechanism. Our body and our hormones in particular really rely on a circadian rhythm. So our light and dark cycles, our internal body clocks, our digestion works well at a certain time. It works best when the sun's out and then as the sun goes down, our digestion shuts down and our body focuses on other things like detoxification and repair, like I've just mentioned too. So if you're eating late into the night, it's true there's people who say that you can eat the exact same amount of calories any time of the day, eat in the middle of the night if you like, and you probably still wouldn't gain weight. That's kind of true. But again, you're going to be more insulin resistant. You're not going to be processing that. You're going to be more inflamed. So that could lead to weight gain as well. So having your meals at regular times, fasting between your meals rather than doing like extended, really stressful fast for your body and Eating late at night can also impact with your sleep quality and people have had the experience of waking up in the morning after eating a meal, a restaurant meal quite late into the night and feeling really groggy and sluggish and tired. And that's because they've probably got food sat in the intestine still that's not been processed correctly or they just feel like the, they haven't had the, the rest and the repair that they needed because of sleep. So in terms of sleep hygiene, this doesn't mean having a wash or a shower before bed. It means your evening routine. So are you just going straight from doing emails on your phone until 11pm and then straight into bed? Because you need to wind down and prepare your body for sleep. Melatonin production doesn't just kick in if you're still working on your laptop or exposed to blue lights from your TV. It needs to have some darkness. It has to have time to detach from the day and shut off. So in the evenings, having things like an Epsom salt bath, nice herbal tea like valerian or chamomile or lemon balm, maybe doing some journaling or um, putting some lavender essential oil in a diffuser in your room or rubbing that onto your body. These are all going to help you wind in for bed and prepare for a good night's sleep. And then in the daytime, you want to do the opposite. You want to get outside. You want to expose yourself to light. You want to get some sunlight directly in your eyes at multiple times throughout the day. So you're not just sat under artificial lighting in an office for the whole day, and then going home, sitting under artificial lights again with a TV blurring in your face. This just is good for general health, but definitely hormonal health, which has a knock-on impact on your metabolism, your weight management your appetite, your mood, your energy. Because if you're feeling really tired and you're not sleeping well, you're probably not going to want to go to the gym, meal prep, exercise, take your supplements. You're going to want to sleep throughout the day and stay in and watch Netflix and eat biscuits. That's most likely. Step seven is to move your body. And this is probably well-recognized and we know that exercise is good for us, but it's more of a Goldilocks factor so not too much not too little as i mentioned before too much exercise can actually trigger weight gain because it could be that you're so inflamed you're not giving your body time to repair and that can cause the inflamed muscles and joints and your body can hold on to water as a protective mechanism because of that too whereas too little it's less of a problem for those in the health and wellness world if you listen to this podcast um, it may be that you're over-exercising or it could be that you're just not exercising as much as you'd like. So you probably know your body best and the benefits of exercise are just endless. So it can help with mental health, help with circulation and lymphatic flow. It can help with gut, the, the gut microbiome diversity, sleep quality. Obviously, we just talked about that and energy levels and insulin sensitivity. So if you maybe are overweight and it's likely that you do have some degree of insulin resistance 
And if you know that you do, then you need to be moving your body consistently and regularly. And one of the best ways to do that is through walking. This is usually beneficial for most people across the board, regardless of the health status, the hormonal balance, the financial aspects. Most people can get out there and walk and it is best to do it outside after meals as well can help your body to process the foods that you've just eaten so it can help digestively and it can help with blood sugar balance if you're insulin resistance then walking after meals can help you to utilize the glucose and the sugars from your foods more easily so it's less likely to be stored you don't need as much insulin in your system to get the sugar into the cells because muscle and movement can uptake glucose regardless or irrespectively of insulin being present so typically you you need insulin to get sugar into the cells but with muscle and exercise that it can do it regardless of whether insulin is present or not so this is a really important thing about muscle muscle increases your metabolic rate even four hours after the workout so yes maybe a 30 minute run burns more calories in that moment than a 30 minute weight training session but the benefits from the strength training actually come for hours up to about two days i think after you've done the workout because your body's breaking down the muscle and it needs to repair it again and then it builds it more strong and with muscle as well it's the legs and the glutes that are the biggest muscles so they're going to have the biggest impact so all of this booty goals and like strength training on instagram it has its negatives but it does have some science behind it and yes it some people like to have a big bum but it's also good for your glucose balance as well so that's why i do it people ask about fasted fasted workouts again this is a very individual thing and may not be for everyone for some people it can be too much of a stress so again it's a good stress but it may be um a bit too much for someone who's already working full-time they've not slept well they've just got a lot going on it may not be the best thing to add in another little stressor to the body but for some people it can actually help to uh, improve fat burning the fat burning state because if there's no food in your system then your body has to tap into the fat stores to burn them as fuel and energy but i wouldn't do like a really heavy lifting session without feeding your stomach maybe something like a short hit class or a walk fasted is going to be more suitable for most women of reproductive age and hit training high intensity interval training can be effective for some people too this is short bursts of exercise that don't really go over 20 30 minutes maximum a few times a week and it's more efficient less stressful than chronic cardio so i'd rather someone do quick bursts of workouts whether that's some um, jumping jacks running up and down the stairs some sprints some jump squats then do like an hour on the elliptical or the treadmill it's just a waste of time and you can actually get in a good workout in a short amount of time as well but i would avoid this if you know that you have adrenal imbalances hormone issues you have high stress levels as well even though you may feel good because it produces endorphins and you may feel more energized from that workout in the moment but if the next day you're really tired or right after the workout you feel absolutely exhausted and need to nap then that's a sign that you're doing too much exercise step eight is to fix your gut and it may seem like i always mention gut health and i do and it's for a reason so with the hormone aspect your guts can actually lead to recirculation of estrogen leading to estrogen dominance and therefore fat tissue growth because estrogen stimulates fat tissue growth and vice versa fat tissue stimulates insulin uh, estrogen release and the way that it works is when your body has finished using your hormones like estrogen it sends them to the liver to be detoxified and what happens in this process is like phase one and phase two liver detoxification and you can imagine your liver packaging estrogen up in a parcel so it puts it in a cardboard box, it puts a lid on it and ties a bow on that and then sends it to the bowels to be excreted. But what can happen is if you've got an overgrowth of bacteria that produce an enzyme called beta-glucuronidase, this can actually unpackage that parcel. So it can lift off the lid, take off the bow and allow estrogen to recirculate. And this is the connection between the gut and the hormones. 
that can lead to estrogen dominance symptoms like weight gain, particularly in the legs, the hips, the thighs, heavy painful periods, fibroids, endometriosis, those types of things. Dysbiosis, meaning an imbalance of good and bad bacteria, maybe you have some parasites or some candida overgrowth. This is very stressful on the body, can cause inflammation, and this can have a knock-on impact on your hormones and your whole endocrine system. So everything from your glucose and insulin levels to your estrogen and progesterone levels and your thyroid hormone, they can all be impacted by dysbiosis in the gut. And you don't necessarily have to have digestive symptoms to have poor gut health. Even people with celiac disease and severe digestive issues, inflammatory bowel, a lot of them don't have many digestive symptoms, if at all. So if you're not dealing with bloating or constipation or reflux, it doesn't necessarily mean that you have really good gut health. If you tried everything to lose weight and you're still getting nowhere, then it is recommended that you start with the gut because this is a common issue. And I recommend testing, not guessing, because you, you don't really just want to go in there not knowing what you're doing. It's recommended that you work with someone who can help you with the protocol, use the right supplements in the right dosage for the right amount of time as well, based on your lab results. And the test that I use is the GI map test by Diagnostic Solutions. I really like that test. It's different to some of the others on the market because it has DNA um, analysis. So instead of just looking at your stool sample under a microscope and seeing what they can see from that, obviously things can be missed if that's what's happening. But with a DNA stool test, they can actually seek out small particles of DNA and they only need the smallest fragment of DNA to actually see something and see it as positive. And it's much more accurate. It's like another one that you do at home, but it's private and it's a little bit costly. But if you've tried everything, especially if you're dealing with digestive symptoms, it's best to just get some answers and get yourself on a protocol so that you don't have to struggle with this symptom and this issue long term as well. And there's actually a ratio of bacteria families in the gut. So we have two main categories of bacteria, Firmicutes and Bacteroidetes. And the Firmicutes, I tend to associate them with fat. So think Firmicutes and fat gain. But there's actually a ratio on the GIMAP test that can indicate that your gut bacteria is making you more um, metabolically challenged. So you may be absorbing more nutrients and extracting more calories from the food that you're eating. And this tends to be um, individuals with higher Firmicutes in the gut. And there's actually some research, and I read somewhere that people in like Africa and people in tribes who may be lacking in food a lot of the time, they tend to have an overgrowth of some of these bacteria because they it benefits them to extract more nutrients and calories from the food because if they're not eating a ton, they want to get every single calorie that they can out of that meal. So they tend to have higher levels of Firmicutes. But in the Western world, that doesn't tend to be an issue for us a lot of the time. We tend to have an overabundance of food. We tend to be overfed and undernourished so this mechanism tends to have a negative impact on our health and i also see sometimes methane dominant SIBO so small intestine bacterial overgrowth there's two types of gases that can tend to be overgrown methane or hydrogen and i've seen clinically that individuals with methane dominant SIBO tend to have more weight gain more constipation whereas hydrogen dominant people tend to be more underweight or at a normal weight and have more diarrhea but there's obviously outliers to that rule as well but that's just what i've seen and there's also been clinical studies on animals where they've done fecal microbiome transfers so they've took the stool or the feces of one rat and implanted that into one one sample of an obese rat into the microbiome and the gut of a lean rat and that rat's actually gained weight and vice versa, they've put the lean microbiome of a rat into an obese rat, and that one's lost weight, regardless of food or exercise, anything like that, which is very interesting. But just another sign that the gut is very important and really does have an impact on every single cell in our body and many different systems. So definitely don't rule out gut health. Step nine is to regulate the stress response. In the modern world, this is so difficult and we're just bombarded by different stressors. We could be still living on 
a desert island and still have some stress maybe because it's perceived stress so there's different types of stressors the way that we react to stress as well is a huge factor because there's no one situation that's stressful in itself it's all about our thoughts surrounding it it's about how we think about that stress and how we react and respond to that as well so if you can work on perception that's going to be absolutely the best thing to do because it's impossible to avoid stress and we don't want to avoid stress this is how we grow as humans this is how we've evolved over the years if we all lived in a bubble and never got exposed to stress then we would have still been um we hadn't we wouldn't have evolved as humans as well and the real or perceived stress aspect is important too because we could be sat on our sofa imagining and worrying about something and have the same physiological responses if we were being chased by a saber-toothed tiger the your heart could be pumping your hands could be sweating you could get a tight chest and nothing's actually happening to you you're just thinking that in your mind so the next time something stressful happens to you or something that would typically send you um with monkey mind and getting caught up in your emotions and getting into that fight or flight mode just try and stop yourself slow yourself down is it worth you experiencing this response is it a life or death situation and 99 percent of the time it's not and it doesn't require you to go into this kind of crazy mindset and get caught up in that as well but cortisol isn't always bad it's so demonized these days and it's been linked to like many different health conditions and that's true of chronic uncontrolled unrelenting stress but cortisol helps us to get out of bed in the morning it helps us to um helps our immune system it helps with hormone production so if we're just not producing any cortisol that's not good either so we don't want to avoid stress completely we just want to control the things that we can change our mindset but stress in chronic and excess levels can increase blood sugar can increase insulin shuts down the gut can prevent you absorbing your food and your nutrients properly and impairs progesterone production so it can have a knock-on impact on many of the other factors that we've mentioned and that's how it can lead to weight gain or weight loss resistance too okay tenth and final step is to avoid endocrine disrupting chemicals so there are certain environmental chemicals known as obesogens and these are defined as chemicals that inappropriately alter lipid homeostasis, fat storage, change metabolic set points, disrupt energy balance or modify the regulation of appetite and satiety to promote fat accumulation and obesity. So that's like the, the definition of an obesogen but basically they can make you more likely to gain fat they can alter the way that you burn fat and they can alter your appetites so that you crave more sugar and carbohydrates as well. So this is all from a chemical in your environment. And some of the most common ones are plastics, particularly BPA, but even the BPA-free alternatives. So don't fall for the marketing ploy of buying everything BPA-free because the alternatives are just as bad, if not worse, in some cases. And other things are going to be like parabens and phthalates that are also endocrine disrupting chemicals so they can interfere with our hormone production they can sit in receptor sites and stimulate hormone production or prevent your own natural hormones from working properly so these are typically found in cleaning products in our water supplies in our personal care products and our skincare beauty makeup sanitary products those types of things and the way that this impacts your sex hormones because it has a knock-on effect on your estrogen and your thyroid but toxins can also store in our fat cells so if we're really toxic then our body actually sends all of these things into our fat cells as a protective mechanism because it doesn't want them interfering with our brain function or having impacts on our liver and our organs so it sends everything into fat storage and the more toxic you are the more fat tissue you tend to have as well and this is why people can typically feel worse when they wait, when they lose weight, particularly a fast weight loss or go through detoxification. And that's because the fat cells release all of the toxins that they have. And if you're not detoxifying correctly, this can lead to symptoms like headaches and skin rashes and fatigue. So if that's ever happened to you, then it's highly likely that you have a high 
toxic burden for a number of reasons and some of these things we got into on episode number 31 of the podcast with Laura Adler so a recent podcast we went over the basics of where we're exposed to these environmental toxins and simple swaps that we can make to reduce our exposure but just as a basic overview it's going to be things like filtering your tap water your shower water avoiding plastic as much as possible from your water bottle tupperware personal care products check the ingredients on them and you can search the ingredients individually on the environmental working groups website or they have an app called think dirty we can actually scan the products and it'll give you a scoring of how dangerous they are if there's any carcinogens or cancer causing agents in there as well and i think that's just a really good resource not all the products are on there but it's a good way to start just make sure you're buying organic as much as possible because pesticides are endocrine disrupting chemicals and they can interfere with our gut microbiome as well and we've just been talking about how important a balance of good and bad bacteria is for our immune system and our metabolic um, our metabolic health as well so as you can tell there's a very comprehensive list many different factors that can be contributing to your your weight gain and ability to lose body fat and calories only play a small part of that as well but definitely don't overlook that and it may be worth just ruling that one out but i tend to find that that's not the issue for nine out of ten people so i hope you found this episode helpful if you did please be sure to share it with a friend and i love seeing your screenshots of the episode on instagram stories so if you love the episode take a screenshot and be sure to tag me in that as well so i can see that i always love it always makes my day and next week i'm back with sarah sumik of healthy skin glows for a follow-up episode to number 11 that we did right at the back when i first started my podcast she was one of my first guests and in that episode we talked all about our skin health how to overcome acne naturally how to formulate a proper skincare routine and the importance of our skin barrier, our skin microbiome. So if you haven't listened to that episode already, please go back and listen because it's a really good episode and you're going to learn a lot. But in this part two, she's answering all of your questions. So I did um, a story asking for some of your questions and I've been writing them all down. If anyone's been messaging me about skincare questions, I've been making a list of them. And we covered a lot of questions in that episode. So everything from um, using exfoliating acids sun cream children's skin health dermatitis there's so many subjects on that so i really think you're going to like that episode too but definitely go back and listen so it's episode 11 of the podcast and she'll be answering your questions next week on the hollands in harmony podcast so hope you enjoyed this one and i'll see you again next week thank you for listening to another episode of the hormones in harmony podcast If you like this episode, please leave me a rating and review as this helps to spread the word to other women dealing with hormone imbalances. As a massive thank you gift, I'll send you a free guide, Six Steps to Hormonal Harmony. All you need to do is screenshot your rating and review, then email it to me at hormonesinharmony at gmail.com and I'll send you the link to download this free guide. If you haven't already, check out my website, vivanaturalhealth.co.uk and Instagram page at Viva Natural Health for tons more free content and inspiration. You can also schedule a free 30-minute hormone troubleshooting call to find out the next steps to take in order to overcome your symptoms naturally. See you back here next week for another episode.